Welcome to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. When something positive or negative changes in our lives, we are basically at a fork in the road. Where does the next step take us? What do we do as reactions to something that has already happened? How do we prevent the negative aspects from happening again? Whether in business or personal parts of your life, you can get back on track. We'll talk about it today. Now, here is your host, Frank Sakari. Good morning. We are one week and one day away from Christmas. So I hope most of you are done shopping or at least have most of your shopping done and are getting ready for a wonderful holiday. My name is Frank Zakari, and you're listening to Life Altering Events on VoiceAmerica.com Empowerment Channel. Now, since we started this show at the end of July, people have often asked me, Frank, what exactly is a Life Altering Event? I tell people this every week. A life-altering event is something that we either choose or something that's forced upon us that dramatically changes the trajectory of our life. Now, what life-altering events present us with is an opportunity to seize the moment and make a difference in our life and in the lives of our loved ones. They present us with a fork in the road, and we have a choice. Now, we can choose to fall apart or we can choose to find the courage, pick up the pieces, deal with our grief, and start moving forward toward better times and better people. I want you all to remember this. It is never too late to have the life that you want and you deserve. Now, as you listen to this show in the coming weeks and months and hopefully years, I urge you to think about participating in an upcoming show. If you have a life-altering event that could inspire others, visit the life-altering event page at voiceamerica.com, click on email the host, and tell me about this event that changed your life so drastically, how you addressed it, where you are now, and how it's impacted your life. We will review it for content, and if it fits well into our program, we'll contact you about using it in a future broadcast. Now, this show was recently extended for another 52 weeks. So thank you to the 17,000 listeners in the 13 countries around the world for your support. But now more than ever, I need to hear from you. Let me tell your story with the world. Today, our life-altering event is remembering our loved ones. Now, as we approach Christmas, we often reminisce about our loved ones who are no longer with us. One of the most heart-wrenching, life-altering events is the death of a loved one, but over time, their memories make us smile and give us great joy. Now, this show today is very personal to me. I have two guests. My sister-in-law, Mary Petty, will discuss the impact of a death of her mother for adult children, and my cousin, Sandra Pizak, will discuss every parent's worst nightmare, and that's the death of a child. Death and taxes are two things we simply cannot avoid. The majority of us will eventually go through the ordeal of burying an apparent, but unless you've experienced it yourself, no one can comprehend the loss of a child. Either case can tear a family apart or it can bring you closer together. The choice is up to you. The key message in this episode for everyone facing the death of a loved one is to cherish your family, cherish your background, your culture, your traditions, because when all is said and done, the only thing you have is family. Friends, 
jobs, acquaintances, they're going to come and go. But family is forever. This episode is going to touch your heart. So, Mary and Sandra, welcome to Life Altering Events. Thank you. Thank you. Mary, let me start with you. Both your parents have passed. Your mother was just a few years ago at, I believe, age 94. Give the listeners an overview of, of your mother, Mary Cunningham, what she was like, what she did, all the accomplishments she's had. Okay. Uh, my mother, Mary Devine, was born in Framingham, Massachusetts, a suburb of Boston. She was the oldest of three girls. She's the last surviving sister. She's from a very happy, close-knit family with lots of relatives nearby. I can remember aunts and uncles and cousins always at my grandparents' house. Uh, She graduated from Framingham State Teachers College and later earned a master's degree in education. She taught school and lived at home. In college and after, she was an athlete, which at that time was unusual for women in that era. Uh, She was a tennis star with many, many trophies, a basketball star, and a swimmer who saved her sister's life once when her sister was drowning in a lake. She, um, again, college graduates and athletes for women at that time was not common. While playing tennis with her friend and tennis partner, she met my dad, who was her tennis partner's best friend. They dated, and then my father moved to San Diego he had a job with Consolidated Volte. He was he flew as a radio navigator. Uh, so mother later took the train to San Diego by herself to marry my dad. And her train mate was her maid of honor. She just met her on the train, the long train ride there. So they got married and they lived in Point Loma, not far from the ocean. And I was born in that house. Uh, Then we moved to Ontario, California, where dad flew out of Ontario airport, and he was gone for long periods of time to the South Pacific during the war. They'd bundle up our three little ones at that time. We'd all drive to the airport in the dark and take off and watch him take off in the dark. Uh, And then mother was home alone with three small children. He ditched twice in the Pacific during that time and had many close calls. Later, she had two more daughters. She had five children in 13 years, four girls and a boy. And then she taught school again when the children were older. She taught school for 30 plus years. She was very active. My dad called her the original go-go girl. She taught school, she cooked, she baked, she cleaned, she shopped, she ironed, she played the piano and the organ for church, and then taught as we grew older. She was a fabulous cook. She loved to make recipes from ingredients my dad grew in the garden, and she used to can some of the fruits. Very conscious about eating healthy and exercising. She exercised regularly through her mid-80s, never drank or smoked. After retirement, she continued to exercise daily with her friends, walking the beach several miles, doing water aerobics, jazzercise, and tai chi. She was up before dawn every day to meet her friends at the beach and enjoy her walk, very social social, and often had lunch with her friends. When anybody was sick in the family or friends, she always showed up. 
She'd bring food. She would shop. She'd cook. She'd clean. She even shampooed several people when they couldn't do that. And then my dad, as he progressed with his Alzheimer's, she gave him more and more support and assistance. She was right there every day to help, never complaining, only loving and supporting every day till the end. Now, will you just describe one of the most vibrant, dynamic women uh, or people uh, ever. Now, describe the journey you and your siblings went through as her health started to deteriorate. Okay, there really was no warning. I mean, she went from walking the beach and exercising and having lunch with her friends to having a heart attack one night. And it was a pretty serious heart attack. She had to have surgery. She had a bypass and a stent put in. Then she seemed to be pretty stable. And I had a vacation planned. I was going to cancel it. My sibling said, no, go, go. She's fine. We're here. So I spent a week in Jamaica. I was on the plane headed to Barbados for another week. They took me off the plane and told me she was dead. So there was a miscommunication, obviously. So I flew back to San Diego and she was in the hospital and she was not doing well at all. And so I was there by her bed and she had more surgery, more care. She was able to come home. At that time, we wanted her to move to an assisted living. She didn't want to. There was a home that my parents had built, very steep driveway, stairs right straight up. So we hired help for her. She didn't like that. She fired them. She didn't want anybody in the house but her family. She was a very loving person, but she didn't want strangers in her home. So finally, she moved to Casa de Manana, a beautiful place in La Jolla, right on the ocean. She had previously said, if I ever have to go anywhere, this is where I want to go. So we talked to her about it, and she cried when we brought it up. She finally agreed she'd go, but she said, please don't sell the house. And I promised we wouldn't. I was the executor of the estate. She arrived at Casa de Manana that day. I'll never forget. Her arms were folded. She had this look on her face, and she said, I'm leaving by the end of the summer. I said, fine, just try it out. A few weeks later, she looked, when I came to visit, she looked at me with a big smile and said, what took me so long to move here? And we loved that she had gone there, myself and my four siblings. Was right on the ocean, which she loved, beautiful dining room, music, a lot of music. There was a piano that she played. She had lots of friends lots of activities, always laughing, lots of interest. And that's the environment she needed. She was a people person. Then she needed more help. She was deteriorating more. So as siblings, we discussed it. And Casa de Manana had a higher level of care across the street. So she moved there for a while and enjoyed it, continued to enjoy it and thrive. Then she got to the point she needed more care. I met with the director he agreed, and he's, we agreed that Casa de Manana was not the place for her anymore. So we researched, found another beautiful place for her in Del Mar. It's called Emeritus. Beautiful, large, very elegant. Again, there, she had many friends, activities, music. The priest came every day, said mass, gave her communion. She was very happy there. But then at some point, she needed more help. She fell several times. 
couple of times I visited in the mid-afternoon, she was left in her wheelchair unattended in the middle of the room with her door to the, her back to the door. She, she couldn't get up. So finally that was it. We were concerned, so we got extra, hired extra 24-hour help while we were looking for someplace else for her. We finally found a private home that was more intimate. Um, <clears throat> they had three or four other uh, people in that home. It was small. They had a piano there that she played. They, it was very good care. It was just a smaller environment, and mother wasn't as active then. They'd kind of sit together and talk in the living room, watch a lot of TV, which she never did. We visited a lot. And she, at some point, she had frequent trips to the emergency room. We had to keep taking her. And the last time I was there with her, and she she didn't like it. They were picking and prodding. And she, oh, oh. So one of the nurses took me aside one of the last times and said, next time call hospice. I said, you're going to have to educate me on hospice. I don't know what they do. I cannot call hospice instead of 9-11. So the home recommended a wonderful hospice. They educated all, all the siblings on what they did, and we agreed that we would do that. One of the statements that I have uh, read over time is it doesn't matter how old you are when your mother dies. The death of your mother is the first time you cry alone. Now, Mary, you were you were an adult when your mother died, and you, in fact, you were a great-grandmother Correct. when your mother died. Correct. Yet, for a daughter, losing your mother is a massive life-altering event. Share with the listeners some of the conversations that you had over the last few years. Well, you know, mother wasn't one to talk much. Well, she didn't talk much about death. She was really too busy living. Uh, she had planned for it. She and my dad uh, both had a living will, and they they described their desires, such as they did not want to be kept alive if there was no hope. Um, they wanted, they didn't want to suffer, and they said, you know, if there's no hope for us, don't let us suffer. Give us morphine or something, even if it shortens our life. Uh, they both wanted to be cremated. You know, the inheritance issues were all spelled out. So it was there. She just really didn't feel like talking about it. Um, she was never afraid of death. She did talk once to me about the music she'd like played at her memorial. And two of the songs that she had said was Ave Maria and On Eagle's Wings. And then we added some more. Well, we added one, Climb Every Mountain from The Sound of Music, which was a, a very favorite of hers. And then we added some others. But Mother was ha- happy and laughing right up to the end. Uh, then there was a transition. She stopped eating. Hospice was there in the background, helping us, educating us, but never getting in the way. Uh, two priests came and gave her the last rites, and a chaplain from the hospice came, who also was, was Catholic, but he was a non-denominational chaplain. Her last words to me, and it was so, it was, I was in the, we were, there was three or four of us there, but as it turned out, Everybody had left the room for one reason or another, and it was just me and my mother. And so she said, uh, first thing she said was, it was like she was thinking, and she said, please help me save my soul. 
And I said, Mom, I said, we just had the priests were here. You got the last rites. Your your soul is clean like when you were a baby. You're fine. And she went, looked at me and got this big grin. She went, really? And I said, yes. And so then she, like, she was thinking and she said, please don't make me go through this alone. And I said, Mom, you're not going to be alone. We're here. We're going to be here. We'll be with you. We're going to make sure everything's okay. And then she thought again and she said, please don't forget me. And I said, oh, mother, how could we ever forget you? And I said, you know, you and dad were the best. You gave us this beaver cleaver life that we thought everybody had. You know, you were the most wonderful parents. And so then I'm crying and then she started crying and then she started laughing and she looked at me and she said, why am I crying? And so then um, she seemed to be at peace then. She'd gotten all this out of her mind. And so then she just seemed at peace. And she, she just kind of was laying there, but she was anxious. And she said, please help me. And I said, Mom, we're helping you. And she said, no, really help me. So then the hospice nurse came in and showed two of the siblings said that we we were able to give morphine. So they showed us how to give the morphine under the tongue. So we had two teams. One team would be out in the living room sleeping while the other team would be in watching and and giving morphine as needed. And uh, we had four-hour shifts. At the end, it was very peaceful. She was surrounded by her children. Uh, She was weeks away from her 95th birthday. And she was cremated, and the reason for her death was failure to survive. And he said, we don't see that very often. She didn't die from the disease. Everything just wore out. She lived her life, and that was it. This is just an amazing story. Um, We're going to continue with Mary here in a moment. They had a tremendous send-off for their mother and father, but I don't want to uh, start that yet. We're going to go to a break right now. Do not go away. You do not want to miss these next two segments of remembering our loved ones. We'll be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. 
From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Zakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to LifeAlteringEventsRadio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, we are having just an absolutely tremendous conversation here. Today's topic, life-altering event, is remembering our loved ones. Now, my sister-in-law, Mary Petty, has been talking about experience with her mother, her mother's life, remembering her, and what an active and dramatic, uh, dramatically active woman she was. Uh, Mary, I understand your family had this very, very touching send-off for both your mother and, and your father. Um, please share that with the listeners. Yes, we did. And it wasn't planned. It just kind of happened. Uh, both of my parents were cremated. And we had mother wanted daddy's ashes kept there by her. And she had them there. And at, at night, some of you know the, her caregivers and, and her would say, Good night, daddy. You know, and uh, so she wanted it there. Well, when she passed, we weren't sure what we were going to do. So we just kept the ashes. And um, so daddy had asked to be buried at sea because in addition to flying, he also was a merchant marine for years and they both loved the ocean. So on the two year anniversary of daddy's death, I said, "Okay, guys, it's time. We We need to do this. So we decided just kind of decided that we would uh, bury them together because mother would have wanted that to be with daddy till the end. So what we did is we ordered this great big biodegradable seashell and my brother mixed the ashes of my mother and my father and he took some out for each of us that we put in little, little, um, containers that we all kept and then with the remainder they were in this shell on the 20th anniversary of daddy's death we hired a boat and a captain we filled the boat with the family we went out three miles out to sea my brother uh, Bill led the ceremony once we got out there and then after, uh, he, he, he is a, an ordained minister. That's not what he does for a living, but, but he did that on the side. So he, we had the ceremony. Then he passed the shell to each of us. We each held it. And then we slid it into the water. And then there was rose petals that we threw 
all over it. And then there was just silence and the shell floated for a few minutes with the, all the rose petals around. And then slowly, very silently, it slid under the water. And it was in the shadows of the Point Loma Lighthouse where they began their lives together 70 years prior to that, and they were still together there. Wow, that, that is uh, an absolutely special moment and special tribute to uh, two extremely wonderful people. Thank you for sharing all that with us, Mary. Now, while we expect that at some point our parents will likely pass before us, my next guest is my cousin Sandra Pizak, and she, she experienced the, the completely unimaginable, the death of her 21-year-old daughter, Sarah, to leukemia. Now, Sandra, tell our listeners a little bit about Sarah. Let's, let's, let's find out what Sarah was. Well, Sarah was everything we all think of our children. Um, uh, she was intelligent. She... Um, she was a book reader. Um, when she was in middle school, she was reading uh, books by Alexander Dumas, Jane Austen, Charlotte Bronte, Sylvia Plath. Her nose was always in a book. And uh, when she was sick at Roswell, she got all of Rob's um, Harry Potter books and read all of them, except the last one, because I think the last one had not yet come out. Um, she was beautiful. She... Um, when she was in remission, um, she was able to leave the hospital. And, of course, we went to a bookstore. It was an antique bookstore. We strolled Barnes & Noble. And one time when we were at, uh, at the, one of the stores, I noticed this, there was this man staring at her and following her throughout the store. And um, I watched him, and he watched me, and he finally approached me and explained to me that he was a photographer he showed me his card and uh, said that he was in the process of doing a magazine piece on beautiful bald women. And he asked if uh, I thought Sarah would be interested in being photographed. And um, I told him, well, talk to her, tell, ask her. So he did, and I could see that her mood changed dramatically. It was lifted that day. And she told him that she would think about it, and, um, but she never was able to. She went back to the hospital that next week. Um, then another time while she was on remission, she, she was in her cousin's wedding and um, she was bald and um, had the, we, they were wearing these beautiful pink gowns and she needed some type of headpiece. Everybody was wearing, you know, whatever the flowers or whatever uh, was uh, designed for their, for their um, ensemble. So um, she fashioned her headpiece after a girl shown in the video of the song Skin by Rascal Flatts, and she looked absolutely beautiful. Um, she, she, was she was really an amazing young woman, uh, very fashion conscious, and uh, as you'll find out more as Sarah, uh, Sandra continues, she always took the time and, and looked impeccable, even through all this ordeal. I'm sorry, Sandra. Go ahead. She did. She did. She was a. Uh, um, she she did the did her best. She did her best. But um, she was a very caring girl. Um, she um, 
was sick. she became sick the year Chrissy was a senior in high school, and um, she told me that Chrissy, because I was at the hospital all the time, and she told me Chrissy needed to have a graduation party. She had a graduation party. Chrissy should also have one. So Sarah was in the hospital, could not attend, but we did have a graduation party for her, and uh, after I cleaned everything up, I drove back to Roswell at 2 o'clock in the morning, and uh, she had a cot there for me, made up, turned down, and she was just waiting for me. And then uh, another time, she, you know, her caring nature, she, uh, I arrived at uh, Roswell around noon, and um, she told me that she had, was happy that I wasn't there in the morning. And because the medications had gone terribly wrong and they were having uh, nursing students come in and overseeing a lot of the um, procedures. And she hadn't been given Benadryl before a certain medication and her entire body reacted and they called it red man syndrome. Her whole body was feverish and totally red. And um, she just said, Mom, I'm glad you weren't here. So she just wow. didn't want anybody else to, to um, be hurting. Um, she, she was a, a, um, a mischievous little girl when she was younger. Um, she, when Mom and Dad were visiting one time, um, Sarah was very concerned about my dad smoking. He smoked cigars. And... Um, he comes into the house and he's very upset and he showed everybody his package of cigars and they were all broken. And, uh, um, she, he didn't understand what happened. So she said, I cracked them. And she said, told him that smoking is bad for you. And she didn't want him to get sick. So we were all done. No one said a word. My mom couldn't stop laughing, but we were just in shock. And, um, and from then t- that time on, whenever he came to visit, the car doors were locked and his cigars were in his front co- front pocket, so nobody could touch them. <laughs> so, um, That's a great story. Then, and, 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 she, she was she was she she was very calm. You know, she doesn't she wasn't um, uh, boisterous or or, or or animated, but she was she let her she let her peace be known. Um, when she was in Roswell, her, she was released after the first hospital release. She got a box of chocolates for the nurses, and she wrote a note to them and said, uh, that said, no offense, but I hope I never have to see you again. <laughs> so, um, so um, yeah, she was, uh, she was something else. And then um, when Chrissy, Chrissy, she was sick for quite a while. Um, let's see, Chrissy's end of senior year, she began college at Niagara, and Chrissy wanted to um, join uh, the lacrosse team. She wanted. She loved playing lacrosse. She played it in high school, and but she wasn't the star athlete or anything like that. So she didn't have videos, and she didn't have, you know, the signings and all that kind of stuff. So Sarah encouraged her to just go on as a walk-on. Go on as a walk-on. See what happens. And um, Chrissy sent us a, those the text picture, and she's wearing her Niagara University. Um, the, the the shirt, and she made the team, and she was on that team for four years and became a scholar athlete. So Sarah was very encouraging for that. Um, 
and then when when um, when she first became sick, um, Rob was very frightened. He was only no, Rob. Rob is your your son, Rob, or your husband, Rob? My son, my son, Rob. Yes. Okay. And he was he was just ten years old when she was diagnosed, and um, I can remember when we went to the hospital. Um, um, he had never seen either of us really cry, and Bob was telling them before we went up to the room what Sarah had, and he broke down, I broke down, and uh, Rob was very, very scared, and when he went into the room, he didn't want to, he didn't want to touch Sarah. They used to hug and uh, wrestle around a lot, and she was uh, 10 years older than him, so um, she was 20 at the time, he was only 10, and uh, she she was she was sick, but she still wanted hugs from him, but he was afraid he was going to catch it. So um, she was in and out of the hospital a lot. So he had um, um, those fifth grade science projects. So she helped him understand her disease by working with him on this science fair project. And they just chose a very simple um, piece just titled Leukemia. And it, it showed the cells. It showed what happens. And so she got him to understand what, um, what she was going through and, and not to be afraid because she, she could, he could still hug her. And that's what, that's what she wanted. So um, she was supportive with, with that. Um, with, with, not, with not only that, she was supportive um, with her dad because six months to the day that she... He, she was diagnosed with leukemia. Bob was diagnosed with lymphoma. So oh they would compare the meds. They would. They had charts. They, you know, we had uh, cleaning rituals, uh, changing dressings, flushing the ports, all of that stuff. Most of her time was in the hospital. He um, was at home. He was able to walk around with a chemo bag, but she had to be in the hospital quite often, but she was in and out. They did let her go home. Um, she was athletic. She, uh, her sport was figure skating, and she spent uh, a lot of years with the Skating Club of Western New York and, and those, uh, um, the, the, the skaters there, and she, she, um, she just loved um, um, the club. And her skating club had memory bracelets made for her with her date of birth, name, and her date of death. But Rob wouldn't wear his because he said, I don't want to cry anymore. So even to this day, it's, it's, it's hard. I'm sorry for my, my voice. Don't worry up, about but, um, it. Don't worry about that at all. Um, for the listeners, Sandra, let me interject here for a moment. For the listeners around the world, Roswell, what Sandra keeps referring to, is the major cancer research hospital in Buffalo, New York. And it is one of the best in the world. And that's where um, Sarah was most of the time. Go ahead, Sarah. She was there, she was there from January through September, into September. Um, it was, uh, she was diagnosed in January. Um, she was... Um, she was a stubborn person. Um, her, not that it was her way or the highway, but she was very stubborn. I can remember when she wanted to uh, study um, abroad for a semester uh, in Italy, and she was just determined to go. And while she was there, uh, my gosh, did she blossom. Even her roommate, uh, Megan, told me that she just, from the shy person that she met as a freshman, 
to at that point in time um, uh, her her um, her her junior year um, she she just blossomed while she was out there in Italy they she it was almost like she was the leader I, she took a group of, of girls to Sicily to visit um, I can't remember which relative but it was a some type of relative from one of the families in Dunkirk and they just put out a spread for her and she was the one that um, broke the language barrier because she was going to Mercyhurst for, um, she was majoring in archaeology with a minor in foreign language so she had studied up on Italian so she was able to converse and um, while she was there her roommate um, was studying in Russia and they decided at one of their long weekends to meet in Prague. And I, when she told me, Sarah told me this, I said, can you go with somebody? I really don't want you traveling alone in a country that you don't know, et cetera, et cetera. And she, goes, she assured me, yes, 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 Mom, I'm going to be able to do that. So um, she meets Megan in Prague. They meet on the Charles Bridge. And Megan told me she was by herself. She didn't come with anybody. And she had traveled the trains and everything all by herself. And I thought, oh, my God, this shy little girl. Because she was, she was very shy in high school and, and middle school. But once she got to college, she just, she just blossomed. She, and she became very strong and determined. Um, she, um, her doctors, many, many doctors, um, told me, one of them, Dr. Bear, told me that she was amazed at Sarah's strength and maturity in handling her disease. Um, she said half the hospital knows Sarah, the other half knows of her. And um, my sister-in-law, who worked at Children's, um, told me that the husband of one of her staff nurses worked at Roswell in radiology, and Sarah was had to go there for certain things. And she asked her, her uh, employee, if her husband knew Sarah, and her response was, he knew Sarah. So um, it was, it was, uh, it, it, she, she touched a lot of people. She, her, one of her, she had two main doctors, Dr. Wang and Dr. Wetzler. Dr. Wang was a, um, of Chinese heritage, and I can remember she had just gotten married the year before, and they just gushed and oohed and odd over pictures of Dr. Wang's wedding, and um, I can remember another time with uh, Dr. Wetzler. She was there. Uh, she had to go into Hus- uh, uh, Roswell because she was something had happened, and uh, the doctor wanted her to stay overnight, and so she did, obviously. And then she wanted to go home the next day, and he wasn't he wasn't thrilled about sending her home that day. So he um, so she uh, she was really upset about it, and she asked the nurse to talk to him. Um, because she really, really wanted to go home. And um, so Dr. Wetzler um, came, did rounds, and she, he saw that she was very upset. And she told him that she wanted to go home. And so he looked over her reports and her vitals and all the tests, and um, he told her that uh, it was looking good that she could go home that evening instead of staying that night. And he smiled at her and said, pushy, pushy, pushy. And then she <laughs> got up and gave him a really that, big that hug. Described, uh, that describes Sarah to a T. We're up against the break here. We're going to come back, and Sandra's going to continue with this story about her daughter, uh, Sarah. Uh, don't, stay, don't go away. You do not want to miss this last segment. This is the best one. 
live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Sakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Zakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We are having a conversation with... Mary Petty and Sandra Pizak, and today's topic is we're remembering loved ones who have passed. Sandra had just talked about her daughter, Sarah. We got a nice synopsis of what Sarah was like uh, as a person, as a, a wonderful leader, as someone who was determined and focused. We're going to continue with that. Um, Sandra, when, where were you when you heard the news that, that Sarah was ill? Well, we, uh, she was in uh, Erie and Mercyhurst College. We were at home, and uh, it was uh, the beginning of her junior year. She had just come home from a summer dig in Fort Hood, Texas, and her semester abroad in Italy. And she called one weekend the, saying that she was sick, and um, she was going to go to the store and get uh, uh, medicines, and um, it sounded like it was her yearly strep throat condition. So she brought the, bought the chloroseptic, et cetera, et cetera. And um, then I found out that uh, in, her, in her room, her dorm room, uh, she was at the top bunk, and her, uh, during one of the, uh, in the evening, she fell off the top bunk and um, landed on the floor. And, of course, her, her roommates were concerned, so they brought her to the... Um, college campus infirmary and um, we got there and um, I can remember the doctor 
saying that she he mentioned some kind of condition and then he wanted us to bring her to a cancer place in, in, in Erie, Pennsylvania. And we both stared at him. My husband and I stared at him and he said, don't worry, it's not cancer. So we go to this, um, this facility and there she has a very painful bone marrow biopsy. It was one of over two dozen that she would have within the next nine months. And of bone marrow biopsies where they drill into the back of the pelvis to withdraw a piece of the bone to examine it. And um, she was given the diagnosis there in Erie um, that she had leukemia. And I can remember her, I could still see her sitting there. I can't have leukemia. I have too much to do. So we spent that evening at Hammett Hospital in Erie because she was at that point very, very weak, very um, she, her, her legs were starting to uh, harden up. She had bruises on her legs. And I come to find out later that she was walking to campus arm-in-arm arm with girls, and she was apparently blacking out, and we did not know that. Her roommates didn't even know that. But, uh, so we spent that evening at Hammett Hospital. She was given blood so we could just travel back home to get to Roswell. Um, they wanted us to go someplace in, in Philadelphia, but Roswell was much closer to home. And before we left that facility, this, there was such a calm that came over her. And I remember her saying, Mom, I'm not scared anymore. Where that came from, I don't know, because no one, I, th- I, think, I think I called everybody from Hammett and told, her, told everyone that she had leukemia. And all I can think of was prayers, just prayers that helped um, her to say that, that she wasn't scared anymore. I was terrified. I said the Our Father and just kept saying, Thy will be done. And um, that's how I remember, remember we got to Roswell and I can remember Father David from Holy Trinity gave us a St. Therese of Lisieux, um relic and St. Therese was her confirmation name. And we just laid that on her chest and she started to get better. And that whole summer, from January through August, August when she was in that wedding with the beautiful headpiece that she wore, she was encouraging other people at the hospital. She was walking around with her dancing partner, and uh, she uh, was one of the quote-unquote healthiest people there, and uh, she was one of their very first to succumb on that floor. It was, uh, it was pretty, pretty devastating. It was pretty devastating. I can imagine. It's. Uh, I can't imagine it, it, what it's like when when you lose a child. Now, Sandra and Mary both. One thing that I've heard over and over again is our loved ones are always with us. They're they're they may be gone in 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 the flesh, but they're always, always with us. And Sandra, you felt Sarah's presence on uh, multiple times, particularly things associated with the number seventeen. And ladies and gentlemen, it's no coincidence that this show is on December seventeenth. Sarah, give us a couple of examples of uh, of the seventeen phenomenon. Well, Sarah died on September seventeenth, two thousand six, and um, after the funeral, I began organizing. Um, all of the items um, from the funeral, and uh, I felt a presence as I was standing in the uh, dining room, and I was counting the remaining holy cards um, that you give out at um, at the wake services, 
and um, I wanted to put them in thank you notes. And as I counted them, there were 17 of the Blessed Mother, 17 of St. Anthony, 17 of St. Therese, and so on. And as I'm counting, my heart is beginning to pound, and I just knew that the number 17 was going to be something big. It was going to mean something. And it was like she was saying, I am here, look for me. I won't leave all of you. So um, I have several, several pages written of stories of 17. There's actually over 100 pages. But um, um, when, when you asked about the show, I talked to Chrissy, and she, she said, December 17th, Mom, she's probably saying, go ahead, do it. It's okay. And um, a lot of times when we look at the clock, um, it'll be something 17. Or um, um, her favorite places to visit when she was a, a child was her grandparents' home. And um, they lived in Dunkirk. The zip code is 14048. Not 17, but if you look for it, you add it together, it's 17. And the house addresses for their grand- the grandparents was 106 and 334 which add to 17. Um, Novena that we would say to St. Therese, her confirmation name, began on the 9th of the month and ended on the 17th. And her, her uh, that's the day she died, 917. Um, one year ago today, Chrissy closed on her first home. Um, more recently, um, um, her um, grandfather, uh, paternal grandfather passed away in um, 2016, and at the funeral home one day, um, Bob's nephew, who's in the Navy, came and showed me his Navy white hat. To me, it looked like one of those Popeye hats. Um, And we looked inside, and the stamp had the number 17. And I told him I wanted to get a picture of it, so I went to get my phone and opened it, um, opened the case of my phone, and the time popped up up as 917 um, my sister Diane was having major surgery in 2019, excuse me, 2009, and uh, she was in the hospital, and um, she wasn't hooked up to anything, but the devices kept beeping, and the nurses came back into the room to reset different devices, and she, at one point they asked her if uh, she had a friend with her, and when Diane looked at the clock, it was 9.17. So there's quite a few. My dad passed away in um, just this past um, February, and he had a military send-off, and um, the one of the men told Chrissy to pick up all the shells after the, the service, and um, um, she forgot about it. So he came back after the service, handed you know, dumped fourteen shells into her hand, and we looked at each other, and the fourteen shells that the, he dumped into her hand, plus the three shells that were put into the flag that was presented to my brother added to 17. Um, just last week, my sister-in-law, who um, is battling cancer, uh, had surgery, and she said, she, go, she sent me a text and said, I'm home um, 17 days after surgery. Uh, there, are, there are just so, so many um, instances of 17 that... Um, um, it's it's amazing. It's it happens every day. There's something seventeen every day. So I always know that um, that she is she is with us. 
And we have to, it's not just looking for the specific number 17. Sometimes, like I said, you have to add things, add the numbers together. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, like the zip code or the, the addresses of the grandparents' home. But uh, she's always there. Her phone number, her cell phone number, her first cell phone, the first three digits added to uh, nine, the, uh, and the last three digits added to 17. Just amazing. It is, it is truly uh, an amazing story that our loved ones are always with us. Mary, share the story that you had after your mother had passed where you felt her presence with you and drawing you. Well, actually, there was two of them. The very first one was after she passed. Again, I had a, a vacation planned, and I was going to postpone it, and all my siblings said, no, go. She's cremated. We can arrange a date. So before I left, I wanted to get the venue going. So there was a church close to where she passed. We, we weren't familiar with the church, but the priest had given her the, the last rite. So I kept visiting him, trying to come up with a date, and it didn't work. And then I, there was another church in the area, and I tried, and things wouldn't work. And I was just felt like I was hitting my head against the wall. It wouldn't work. So finally, I just... Going to step back and took a breath, and I thought, what am I going to do? Well, my one of my twin granddaughters taught at a Catholic school in Del Mar. It was called St. Teresa of Carmel. And so she said, I'll ask Grandma, I'll ask the priest. And he said, absolutely, certainly, I'll do it. So I went on my vacation. We had written the obituary as a family before I left. I gave it to one of my siblings, along with a picture taken on Mother's 94th birthday, and I asked her when the time came, please, you know, contact the paper, give them the obituary and the picture, and then, you know, bill me. So I got back, and the picture appeared in the paper. No, the picture did not appear. The obituary was there, but no picture. I was very disappointed, but I didn't say anything. I, I wasn't there. So, um, so then the day of the memorial, we gave the notes to the father, to uh, so he knew what to say about her and he said he had seen an obituary that had her picture in it he recognized her he remembered giving her communion he remembered her, her playing the piano he remembered her singing and laughing so he added his personal thoughts to that and I didn't realize that he knew her it was the most perfect memorial in a perfect church with big open windows behind the altar and um, green hills full of family and friends. We had a catered reception following and I made her favorite applesauce cake. Perfect. It's it's truly amazing. We're just about out of time here, but what I want to say is people tell us all the time that time heals all your wounds, but as you heard from Mary and from Sandra, that's not the case. That's not true. The grief and the sorrow never heals. It may not be as intense or as debilitating, but it never goes away. So this holiday season, if you're fortunate enough to still have your parents, go see them. If they're too far to drive, then call them and tell them you love them. Tell your parents and your children how much you love them and hug them and hug them a little longer. Family's precious. Cherish every minute. If you want to read more about a family who has been through these ordeals, you can get the book Inside the Spaghetti Bowl on Amazon.com. Now, since we're almost out of time here, I want to thank Mary and Sandra for sharing these inspiring and very emotional life-altering events. And remember this, ladies and gentlemen, no matter what life throws at you, remember three things. Look up, get up, 
and never, ever give up. Pick up the pieces and start moving forward. Now, if you've missed any of this show or any of our other shows, you can listen to them on demand on a number of different places now, including iHeartRadio and Alexa, who recently picked up the show. I'm wishing everybody a wonderful holiday season. And let me leave you with this. None of us are in this alone. The secret to walking on water is to know where the rocks are. And in, in regards to remembering your loved ones, Mary and Sandra has shown you where the rocks are. Join us next week as we discuss another life-altering event. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning into Life-Altering Events. Be sure to join Frank Zakari again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a life-changing week. The Good Cop.